emphasizing grace, contrary to popular belief, does not lead to lazy Christians, nor does it lead to a more sinful lifestyle. See, there's this idea out there that we need the law or we need this extra stuff to be added to the grace of God, the covenant of grace in order to keep people holy, in order to keep people from sinning. There's this idea that the grace of God somehow gives God's people permission to sin. And so we need to temper it with something else in order to protect the people of God, in order to keep people more holy, in order to give people a more holy lifestyle. And you know what? It's just completely not true. Jesus was confident in his grace, so much so that he instituted a new covenant in his blood. And he is confident in his new covenant. The writer of Hebrews tells us that the old covenant is outdated. It's obsolete. And so we don't need to go back to the old covenant in order to make the new covenant more effective. It just does not work like that. It's completely unnecessary. What Jesus did on the cross for us, it was sufficient. It was more than enough to keep us living righteously and holy and walking faithfully with God here on the earth. Grace does not give you permission to sin. It does not lead to a lazy lifestyle. It does not do this thing of, of, of relinquishing responsibility because, well, God already did it all. Jesus already paid the price, so the responsibility is off of me. The responsibility is off of you from keeping yourself free from sin and keeping yourself holy and righteous before God. Jesus did that for you. But it does not mean that under grace there are no responsibilities. It doesn't mean that under grace there's no work to be done. There's lots of work to be done, but we get to do it from a place of rest. We get to do it from a place of grace. We get to do it from a place where we have been fully and completely accepted and where Jesus has made us completely free to live for him, to serve him, to fall in love with him, to walk with him, because we're doing it from a place of right standing with God. I want to read to you one of my favorite verses, but just before we do that, I just want to welcome you to the podcast. Appreciate you guys for being here and taking a moment to check out this episode. This is going to be the fourth installment in the New Covenant Lens teaching series that I've kind of done sporadically over the past couple of months. This may be the last session. We'll just kind of see how far we get. But um, if you get anything out this episode, if you consider subscribing or leaving a comment or a review on one of the podcast platforms, that would really be amazing. So thank you guys so much again for being here. I want to read to you a verse that's been a favorite verse of mine forever. Second um, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Pretty familiar verse when we start talking about grace. It says these words. It says, for he made him... So in other words, God the Father made the Son who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I've had conversations with some Christians that have a problem with this verse and 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 they think that the wording of it is not correct because they, they would say that it doesn't make sense that God could not be sin, that God is, is holy, that Jesus being holy and perfect, he could not be sin. Now, this is interesting because he did not become a sinner, but he did become sin. He never sinned himself, but he took on the sins of the world. But this verse 
this might be a little bit controversial, but it's just the Bible. This verse goes beyond just he took on sin. It actually says that he became sin. Jesus became sin for you and for me so that we could become, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if it wasn't in the Bible, I would think that that was blasphemous language, but that's what it says. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. Jesus became sin on the cross. He became sin. The perfect, spotless lamb became sin. It, it's interesting when we look back at the Old Testament practice of animal sacrifice. When atonement was made, when somebody sinned and brought an atoning sacrifice to the priests, what happened was they would slaughter the animal. But before they did that, there was a symbolic passing of the sin of the individual onto the animal. And then the animal was killed and the the person's sin actually the, the the idea was this that the person's sin was actually imputed to that animal that my sinfulness now becomes the 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 sinfulness of this lamb and so that lamb takes on my sin so that lamb is slaughtered or whatever the animal was was is slaughtered and I'm free now, under the law, it was just a temporary thing. It was just a, a temporary passing over because ultimately the law was unable, the book of Hebrews tells us, to let there be an actual forgiveness of sins. So there was a temporary passing over. That's why the Day of Atonement was so powerful and so important because what they would do is they would atone. The, 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 the priest, the high priest, would really atone for the sins of, of all of the camp of Israel all of the nation of Israel for any sins that they hadn't uh, sacrificed for, even sins that they may have forgotten about or wouldn't even be aware of or something like that, so that there wasn't sinfulness kind of hanging over the people of God. But it had to be done year after year after year so that people could not have that, that sin hanging over them. But there was this constant consciousness of sin. There was this consciousness of sin that had to be, they were reminded of it every single year like okay we got to cover for this again we have to atone for this again we have to sacrifice for this again jesus became that ultimate sacrifice he paid the price for your sins once and for all he did that because he doesn't want you now of course he did it because he wants you to be saved he wants you to go to heaven he wants you to have eternal life many many reasons but in that he doesn't want you to continue to have to pay for your sin he doesn't want you to have this continuous reminder of how sinful you are. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to sit there and to constantly be reminded of this sinful lifestyle and these the, the sinful behaviors and the sins that you've committed. He doesn't want you to walk around in that consciousness of, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm such a lousy sinner. I got to do something to make up for my sin. No, he already paid for it. He became sin so that you could become I like some translations will, will say there, be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the second part of this verse that's that can also be controversial. So that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ. So we are not just, so I was thinking about this, about this lately, and this isn't something that I've really um, thought of until recently. But it's interesting there that it doesn't just say, 
It does. It, th- here's what it does not say. It doesn't say for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be righteous in Christ. It doesn't say that. It says that we might become the righteousness of God. I think it's interesting there that it doesn't just say that we, that we, he did it so that we could become righteous. He did it so that we could become or to be made the actual righteousness of God. That's really interesting because I think that that takes it to another level because to be righteous is perfect. I mean, if, if he, if it just said that, it just said that he made us righteous, that's good because, because, um, the righteous can inherit the kingdom of heaven. So that's good. But to be righteous, the state or the quality of being righteous is a, it's an attribute. So he could have attributed right that, that, that to us that, okay, you're righteous. My sons and my, and my daughters, those that call upon me, that confess the name of Jesus, that have a relationship with me, they are righteous. They're in right standing with me. I think that to say that we actually become his righteousness I think that it takes it to another level of identity in him, of identifying with him and of him identifying with us. Because it's not just you're righteous, it's you are his righteousness. That's that's amazing. You are the righteousness of God. Now, again, this is one of these things that if it wasn't in the Bible, I, I would be I would feel like I'm saying something blasphemous, but it's in the it's in the book. You have become his righteousness, the righteousness of God. This is why when you do something unrighteous, you don't become unrighteous because he made you his righteousness. Because it's not your righteousness that keeps you in right standing with God. It's his righteousness and he gave it to you. And he didn't just give it to you. He made you. He fashioned you. He formed you into his righteousness. So when you do something wrong, when you sin, when you do something, an unrighteous act, it doesn't make it okay. Not at all. Because remember, Jesus paid the price for that. So all of the sin that you and I commit is the reason why Jesus went to the cross. So it's not okay. Your sin, uh, my sin, when I sin, it is not okay. It's not right. It is not good. It's not like, okay, well, um, I just, uh, you know, like it, it, like I can brush it under the rug because of God's grace. No, the grace of God is so good that because his grace doesn't only f- uh, free us from sin and forgive us of our sins, but it actually empowers us to live sinless. So that means that I don't have an excuse to continue to, oh, well, um, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a sinner. If I'm just a sinner saved by grace, then I'll, it, it, it almost, it feels anyway, like that gives me an excuse to continue to sin. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, I can kind of make an excuse for it because ultimately that's just my nature. It's my human nature. I'm a sinner. I can get better at this, but ultimately I'm a sinner. You and I are not sinners anymore because of what Jesus did for us, because his sacrifice was so good. It was so sufficient, so perfect to bring us into absolute freedom and to actually help us to walk in victory and to live sinless lives. Now, if you're not living a sinless life, I'm right there with you. So it's not something to become condemned about. 
It's just something to continuously look to God and to recognize, God, I thank you that your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. I thank you that because of what you did that, that, I've, that I'm forgiven. And I thank you that your grace is enough to help me to be free of this sin, of this struggle, of this thing that I might be dealing with, this, this challenge that I'm facing, this issue in my life, this sin struggle, this sinful habit, this addiction or whatever it might be, that I can actually be free from this because of your grace. So the difference is that I'm not looking at myself to kind of like white knuckle my way through things. I'm looking at him, at his finished work, at his grace that actually empowers me to walk in that righteousness. But if I mess up, I don't become unrighteous because I messed up. I don't have to go back to God and plead to have my righteousness restored because it wasn't my righteousness in the first place. It was his. He made me his righteousness. And he did that because he wants me to be free from the weight of the guilt and the condemnation and the shame that comes along with sinning and messing up and failing. And he wants me to be able to every single time that I miss the mark, every single time that you miss the mark, he wants you to be able to come quickly to the throne of grace where there is mercy and grace to help in time of need. He doesn't want you in this place of having to like cover things up and having to make excuses and having to hide things and having to like, you know, pay for that sin again. He paid for it once and for all. He doesn't want you beating yourself up when you mess up. He doesn't want you trying to somehow pay the price or make up for your sinful behavior. He doesn't want you to do that. And besides, you can't do it anyway. It's a waste of time. Usually probably done with good intentions, but it's a waste of time. It's unnecessary because under this new covenant of grace, you <laughs> excuse me, you are free from that curse of sin. So he made you to become the righteousness of God. But the verse doesn't end there. Those last two words at the end are very, very important in him, in Christ. And so to take this verse, because like, you know, people could get weird with this stuff. Don't get weird with this stuff because this is not about you. This is about Jesus. The emphasis here is not how good you are because you're righteous in him. It's about how good he is, that he is so good, that his righteousness is so good, that his grace is so perfect, that he made this decision because he loved us while we were yet sinners. He loved us, and so he made this decision to make us his righteousness so that we could be free to live holy and blameless before him, even when we mess up and when we've got sin in our lives. He, he's able to see us as blameless and holy because he always wants us to be in that position of righteousness, of right standing with him. He doesn't want us in that place where we're falling out of grace every 10 seconds because we're having bad thoughts or whatever. He wants us free. He wants us victorious. And this is the only way to do that, to actually make us righteous. But it's not in you. It's not in your strength. It's not because of anything that you've done. It's because of Jesus. It is in Christ Jesus that you have been made the righteousness of God in him. It's in him. You know, people get weird with this stuff. People like start to kind of make this about them. Like somebody cuts you off in traffic and it's like, it's, it's like, touch not the Lord's anointed. 
You know, we get like this thing where we can get prideful and we can make it about us. Well, I'm a child of the most high God and by gummit, you're <laughs> dad gummit. What was I trying to say? Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like we can get weird with this and we can start to put the emphasis on us. And that is 100% missing the point and missing the objective here. The goal, the objective, the aim is Christ to know him to know him more, to know him and him crucified, to know him and the power of his resurrection, to know him. And we get to get to know him because we have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. This should not make anybody look at themselves. This should make all of us fall on our face in awe and wonder before God because it's so amazing that he was able, that he was so perfect and is so perfect and his sacrifice was so perfect and he's so good and he's so loving that being a just God, being a just God and a lover of justice and a lover of righteousness, that he was able to send his son to be such a perfect atoning sacrifice that you and I, with all of our junk and all of our sinfulness and all of our condemnation and shame and all of the struggles and all the addictions and, and all of it, that he was able to take us in spite of all of those things and to make us righteous apart from the works of the law, apart from your and my own self-righteousness fully in him so that we could be right in right standing before God and that a completely like remade with with a completely remade identity in him where we've actually become his righteousness so that there's nothing that the devil can do nothing that man can do and even your own mistakes and your own mess ups don't take you out of his grace and out of his righteousness and out of that right standing with God that you have because of what he's done for you, not because of what you've done. That's some good news. That's some good news. I love, I love this verse. So um, I want to get into, to, I think just one other part of scripture in today's discussion. And I want to go to Romans chapter eight, because this is like a really important passage of scripture when we talk about the new covenant. And I can't remember if I've really talked about this or not to this point throughout this teaching series. So let me just mention it quickly. In Romans chapter seven, we have Paul talking here and he's, this is, this is a very, very controversial portion of the new Testament. And, and where there's a lot of disagreements and just kind of different schools of thought on what was actually going on here, particularly when we get down into verses 13, really through the end of the chapter. Because what we have is we have Paul talking about, like, let me read to you some of these verses. Um, verse 14 says, for we know, and this is Paul again talking, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
he's going through this thing, and it's a really interesting passage of scripture because it again it starts off with this thing: I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. What I will to do, I don't practice, but what I hate that I do. And so this has traditionally been looked at as Paul having a, a, a sin struggle. Now, I don't have any problem with the Apostle Paul or with anybody in Scripture apart from Jesus having a sin struggle. So I, I, I don't I, I don't disagree with that because I don't think that it was like that we couldn't accept the fact that Paul might have had a sin struggle. I'm sure Paul had some sin struggles at some point in his life, right? But the reason why I don't think that that's what's going on here is because of the language that Paul is using, which is language that he would not use about himself or any other Christian anywhere else throughout the New Testament in his writings, where he's saying, like, I'm carnal, I'm sold under sin. Like, Paul is the guy who talks more about the new covenant and grace and really brings this message of grace to the world more than anybody else in the New Testament. And Paul is like, you know, I mean, he's the writer of the verses that we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's Paul. That's the same guy. And he's writing here in Romans chapter 7, and he's talking about how he's carnal and he's sold under sin. Like we know that in Christ, we are not sold under sin. That's the whole point. In Christ, you are not sold under sin. That Paul had just written in Romans chapter six that we're no longer slaves of sin. So to, to be a slave of sin and sold under sin is the exact same thing. Like it's to be, uh, before Christ, we were trafficked under sin. We were sold under sin. We were slaves of sin. There was an aspect of our lives where we couldn't help it but to sin. So Paul, being righteous in, in Christ Jesus, knowing that he's righteous in Christ Jesus, I don't think he would use that language to talk about himself, that he's carnal, sold under sin. So again, I don't think it's I don't think it would be heresy to say that Paul might have had some sin struggles in his life. But I don't think that, that that's what's going on here. Now, there's there's um, Greek scholars that can get into this a lot better than I can as far as the literary device being used here in the ancient text when it was written that Paul was using um, a, a literary device here called presupapia. I'm not even sure if that's 100% how you pronounce it, but where it's kind of like putting himself into a... Uh, a, a secondary role, so to speak, and 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 speaking not of himself, but speaking for somebody else, but but in in his voice, and so um, there's there's a lot of evidence that that points to that, and so that just helps to to lend some credibility to what I'm going to say. But again, I'm not the 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 scholar to really lead you down that path. All I want to say is what I believe here is that Paul was actually talking from the perspective of somebody who was trying to be righteous according to the law. All right. That's what I believe is happening here. So this is not somebody talking about their righteousness under grace in Christ Jesus. This is the, the struggle of trying to be right um, according to the law. So let me read it again. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. He's talking about the law. 
But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's not something that that could really be said about a believer under grace, under the new covenant, about sin dwelling in me because we've actually been redeemed from sin, redeemed from the curse of the law, and we've actually been made new. We're a new creation in Christ Jesus. For I know, verse 18, that in me that is in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There it is again. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's verse 24. There's one verse left in that chapter, and then we'll go into chapter eight. Uh, again, I think that this is my, this is just my opinion. I think that this is a it's a literary device where Paul is actually talking, whether he's talking about himself in the past, according to the law, or just kind of putting himself in the shoes or in the mindset or in the perspective of somebody, because um, really Paul is writing here to the Jews in, in Rome, right? And he, he's, he's writing to people about the, the, the new covenant. Romans is this incredible book that kind of goes through a, a beautiful progression of what has been accomplished for us through Christ. And he talks a lot about the, the nation of Israel throughout, especially in chapter four, going back and talking about Abraham. And he kind of talks about how the, 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 the law was um, up until the time of Christ, but now in Christ, grace has come so that this can be received through faith. And so that we're supposed to walk with God um, by faith. And, and so Paul goes through this really just incredible discourse. I mean, this is a really long letter <laughs> that Paul wrote here to the Romans. But, but is, is this incredibly um, just rich text about the freedom that you and I have come into in Christ Jesus? And so the, the language that Paul is using here. I think that what he's doing is he's speaking from the perspective of somebody who wants to do right, who wants to do good, who wants to follow God, but doing it from a law-mindedness or a law-consciousness where it just becomes this thing where we, we just feel like we're constantly not measuring up and like we're ultimately a slave to the sins that we're committing that we're ultimately unable to be free, that we can't really be delivered from this because we just keep falling back into the same thing over and over again, coming into captivity to the law of sin and all this kind of stuff. It's not the kind of things that Paul would say about a child of God who is uh, walking according to the new covenant. So in ver so again, verse four, 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> Excuse me. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now we jump into Romans chapter eight. And it's like a totally feels like a totally new day. 
like a new day has dawned and it's a completely new perspective. So listen, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So it's like we we go from this, there's this contrast of I'm trying to do right. I'm trying to do all these things, but it ends up being the things that I hate doing. That's the thing that I do more than the thing that I that I actually want to do. And it's like this, this struggle, this cycle of bondage to sin. And then we get to chapter eight. It's there's therefore now no condemnation to, the, to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's exchanging a sin consciousness for a grace consciousness. There's no condemnation. If you're living under condemnation, you're living under a law-minded perspective, at least in part, and not walking uh, fully in the grace of God. Now, I think that there's probably times when every single one of us at some point is going to fall into some kind of condemnation. Condemnation is when we self-pronounce judgment. So it's like, oh, I did something wrong. I'm guilty. I did something wrong. I'm going to feel bad about it. And, and so we walk around with that. And it's just something that we we don't have to do. It's not necessary. And so when you recognize that you're carrying the weight of something that you really shouldn't be carrying because it's something that Jesus already paid the price for you once and for all on the cross, just surrender that thing. Just give it back to him. See, the thing about this is none of this should make us look at ourselves. It should make all of us look fully and completely and only at Jesus. Because if we look at Jesus and we recognize that he is the only reason that we are righteous, that we can be standing here, that we're alive, that we're breathing, that we're moving, he's the reason for all of it. Like it should cause us to live with this sort of awe and wonder of who he is. And again, because he's not condemning us, we don't need to be afraid to approach him when we've sinned. We don't need to be afraid to approach him when we've messed up. So we come boldly, even in the moments when you've, even when you just messed up, you can come boldly before the throne of grace. And he's going to be there to embrace you and to give you mercy and to give you grace to help you in the time of your need. He's not holding you back. He's not angry at you because you sinned. God doesn't have any reason to be angry. Jesus already took the full weight of the punishment of your sin. He took the full weight of God's anger against that sin. He took it. He does not have any reason to be mad at you. Like Jesus paid the price. He did the work. He's in a state of rest and he invites us to rest with him. He's not like up in God like, oh, these kids, they're not getting it right. No, he's, it's just the Holy Spirit. The reason the Holy Spirit lives inside of us to point us to Jesus so that we can see more and more. He's our companion. He lives with us. He walks with us. Everywhere you go, the Spirit of God is there with you. And he wants to constantly just remind you and direct your attention. Hey, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at what he did. Look at his grace. Be grace conscious. Be focused on him because that is ultimately how you get free. That's ultimately how you walk in freedom. It's by looking at him, not by living in condemnation and beating yourself up when you've done things wrong. That is not a good remedy to being free from, from, from maintaining freedom. It's just not. It's not. It's just more bondage. And he doesn't want you to walk that way. 
I love these verses. So verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So watch this. This is two different laws here. There's the law of sin and death, but guess what? The law of sin and death is completely like superseded by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death has made past tense. It's done. It's over once and for all. He has set you free. Yeah, but I'm not experiencing that freedom. Okay. As you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord Colossians 2 verse six. So walk in him. Um, Romans six, four. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should also walk in newness of life. See, we need to walk in the newness of life he's given us. We need to walk in him. We've received it. He's made us free. So what we've got to do is we've got to stop holding on to these things that hold us back, We've got to stop holding on to these things that keep us bound. And we've got to actually just walk in him, recognizing the freedom that he's given us to, to just to know him, to fall in love with him, and to stop focusing on so many things that just do not matter, or at the very least, they should not be our primary focus. Jesus is our focus. I love a friend of mine says, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, yeah, but I got to add some works in because if I'm not doing the works, then no, 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 no. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It doesn't mean that you do nothing, but it means that the weight of the emphasis is on Jesus, that the goal, the focus, the aim is Jesus. The works flow out of you from overflow as a result of you focusing on Jesus. That is the healthiest way to live. That is the healthiest way to walk with God. That he is everything. And all of the stuff that we do, the good works that we do, the abstaining from sin, the putting aside the deeds of the flesh, the, the telling other people about him, bringing other people into the knowledge of the truth, serving people well in life, serving our families well, all of the things that happen, it's the overflow of knowing him, of walking with him, of trusting him, of following his example, of following his leadership and his lordship in our lives. He's made us free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death do not have authority. They do have jurisdiction in your life. They just don't. So he invites us to put off the deeds of the flesh because we're no longer slaves of those things anymore. So, But we still do this thing a lot of times as Christians, saved by grace, where we submit ourselves to obey a certain sinful lust, sinful desire, sinful habit, whatever it might be, right? So we can still do that, but it's not coming from a place of identity as a sinner. It's coming from, it's coming from a place of 
Um, you know, I, I believe this was another recent episode that I did. I think that it comes from a place of, of lack within ourselves where maybe we haven't fully understood or fully embraced the grace of God, the Lordship of Jesus in a particular area of our life. And so there's this kind of like void there. There's this area where we haven't allowed the grace of God to, to impact us yet. And so it causes us to go after other things. It causes us to take on other things. It doesn't make you unrighteous. It doesn't. But what it should do is it should cause us to run to Jesus. Don't hide from him when you sin. Run to him. Run to him when you sin. I, I remember hearing about how um, you know Derek Jeter, when he used to play for the Yankees, he would make a mistake. And instead of like waiting for, you know, the coach to come and tell him something later on, what he would do is he would make the mistake and then he'd get back to the dugout and he would just go and stand right next to the coach. And he would just, he would just stand next to him and just kind of wait to see, and just kind of put himself in the atmosphere, you know, in the coach's atmosphere to see, you know, what do you want to, sh- what want to share with me? He wouldn't even necessarily say anything like, all right, rebuke me or, or all right, you know, tell me what I did wrong. But he would just stand there. And there were times where the coach would eventually just look at him and be like, all right, get out of here. Because <laughs> he was like, he knew, he knew, it was an understanding, it was an agreement that they had. And I thought that that was really cool. There's this thing that we do where we can hide when we've messed up, maybe due to embarrassment, maybe due to fear, whatever it might be. But all of that is condemnation. It's, 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 it's condemnation. It's fear-based. When you mess up, no matter how bad it is, run to him, go to him, get back in his face. He's not going to condemn you. He's not, he, he's not going to make you feel bad or guilty. If you're feeling bad and guilty, that's not coming from God. It's just not. God does not condemn. There's no condemnation in Christ. He's not going to condemn you. He might want to speak some words of life to you. He might want to remind you of his love. He might want to correct you. And and, and submitting to his leadership in that area is life. And learning to trust him, that's part of that process of learning to trust him. It's learning to submit to his leadership, to his lordship, to his authority. To say, you know what, even if you're going to say something to me that I might not like or I might not want to hear, I'm willing to listen because I know that it's going to bring life. And every single time it brings life. God knows what you need to hear when you need to hear it. There have been times in my life where I was just expecting God to just tear me apart because of my attitude, because of my behavior. And what God said to me was completely the opposite. But because of the way he said what he said, it made me realize, it, it, like it made me encounter his goodness and to say, wow, God, you knew exactly what I needed. And it actually made me adjust my attitude because he just knows. He knows how to get to the heart issue. He knows how to get there. And, and so we don't need to be afraid of that. Just draw near to him. Be as close to him as you can get. Get in his face. When everything's good, when everything's bad, when things are falling apart, when you've totally blown it, when somebody has totally hurt you, abandoned you, frustrated you, just get in his face. 
and see what he would say, see what he would have to say to you because it's life. Verse three, for, for what the law, I love this, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. The law, it says, was unable to do that. The law couldn't do it because the law was weak through the flesh. But Jesus, being perfect, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds, this is important, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. All right. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh. You and I, we have free will. We have the complete ability to set our minds on whatever we want to set our minds on. If you want to set your mind on horrible things, you're free to do that. If you want to set your mind on Jesus, you're free to do that. And we can't blame the devil for what we are setting our minds on. Say amen, somebody. All right. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. If you're setting your mind on the things of the flesh, the result, it, it, that's going to show up in your behavior. It's going to show up in how you live. It's just going to happen. If we're setting our mind on the things of the flesh, that's going to be the result. But if we set our mind on the things of the spirit, we're going to live according to the spirit. I love what Colossians chapter 3 says, the first three verses. <clears throat> They're some of my favorites. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That's garbage. You need to be as heavenly minded as humanly possible. I don't even know if that's the right theological way to say that or not, but you need to be heavenly minded. We need to become more and more heavenly minded because what that means is that we're thinking like him, that we're setting our minds on things above. I get the intention behind don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, which is not scripture, it's just something people say. I get the intention behind it. The intention behind it is to say, uh, you know, don't be so out of touch with the world, with the happenings, you know, like don't be so out of touch with things that are going on by, Z, by being super spiritual that you're no earthly good. I get that. That's not heavenly minded. Super spiritual and heavenly minded are not the same thing. Be heavenly minded. Think like heaven thinks. Think like Jesus thinks. You have the mind of Christ. Use it. Think like him. Set your mind. Now, it might not be the, the general default thinking of your brain. Like a lot of times, the, the, the default thinking of my mind is very negative stuff. So what do I have to do? I have to intentionally set my mind on things above not on things on the earth. If I'm setting my mind on my circumstances, I'm going to get depressed. I'm going to get discouraged. If I set my mind on things above, now I have a different perspective and I can actually see my circumstances from his perspective, from a heavenly perspective. Maybe hear God's voice on the matter. Maybe get some wisdom and discernment 
uh, understanding on how to deal with the circumstances that are in front of me. But if I'm setting my mind on the earthly things, the best I'm going to be able to do is come up with earthly solutions. You and I, we don't need more earthly solutions. The world that we're living in does not need earthly solutions. And God is so intently focused on the needs of humanity, on the needs of people. He's aware of your needs, your family's needs, the situation that you're in. And he wants to come into that atmosphere and bring breakthrough and bring solution with his mindset, with his creativity. But it takes partnering with him by setting our mind on things above, choosing to elevate our perspective from things on the earth to things of God, to think the way that he thinks. It's the, we're talking about the renewing of the mind from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's the renewed mind. We are transformed as our minds are renewed. As our thinking comes into alignment with his thinking, our minds are renewed. It's not just about the thoughts that we think. It's about the way that we think. It's about thinking like him. It's about thinking from heaven to earth because that's how God thinks. And so when we set our minds on things of the spirit, we live according to the spirit. Verse six says, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. <laughs> For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh. I love this combination of verses. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So is the conclusion there, oh, well, I sinned, so I must not be pleasing to God today. No! That is not the conclusion of that verse. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But look at what the next verse is. It says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. I love that combination of verses. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. But guess what? You are not in the flesh. You are in the spirit. Why? Because the spirit of God dwells in you. If you are a child of God, means that the spirit of God has come to take up residence in you. The spirit of God lives within you. You are in the spirit and therefore you are not in the flesh. It doesn't mean that you can't do fleshly things. You can do fleshly things and you probably do something fleshly every single day. That's why we need to continue to walk in the grace of God. But doesn't mean that you're falling out of the spirit into the flesh every time you sin. It, it, it's not like when you wake up and you read your Bible, you're in the spirit. But when you wake up and you, you know, you, you get mad, you stub your toe and you and you utter some cuss words that, oh, I'm in the flesh. Doesn't work like that. You are in the spirit because of what he's done for you, because the spirit of God dwells within you. That's not dependent on how you wake up in the morning. It's dependent upon what he did for you, you accepting that free gift. Just remember, guys, this is a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a gift. He's not taking back the gift of his salvation and his righteousness. He's not taking it back. Again, this should not lead anybody to, to desire to sin. 
if this is leading you, like if your conclusion of the matter, having listened to this discussion today is all right, well, I, I guess I can, uh, you know, sin. Okay. <laughs> if, if that's the conclusion of the matter, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just like straight up immaturity. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying that's that's an immature perspective to have. And I'm not saying that it's it's hopeless. It's not. Just keep coming to him because he will change that. He'll change that over time. His spirit in you will cause you. Like when you choose to follow Jesus, there's going to be this thing inside of you that wants to obey, that wants to do right. I just want you to get away from that mindset that says, I have to obey, I have to do right, or God's going to be mad at me, or there's going to be punishment, or there's going to be whatever. I want you to get away from that mindset because that is not the point. That is not the point. But please do not use this. Do not use anything that I'm saying here as some kind of permission to say, well, I, I can keep sinning. You know, we've, 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 we've got to come into this place of maturity in Christ Jesus. And that's what his grace does. Remember from the last session that we did, we talked about how his grace actually teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly. That's amazing. That verse should dispel any of that kind of weird thinking that says that we can kind of just do what we want because God's not going to condemn us. He's not going to condemn you, but he also wants you to be free. And choosing to live in sin is not choosing to walk in freedom. So let me read a couple more verses here. We'll wrap this up. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit. Who dwells in you. Verse 12, therefore we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. <laughs> For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Check that out. Check that verse out. If you live according to the flesh. Look, we are not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You're not. You're not a debtor to the flesh. That That's the um, identity part. That's uh, Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. That's he's made you free from the law of sin and death. You are not a debtor to the flesh. You're not. But if you live, in other words, you're not a debtor to the flesh, but you can still choose to live as if you were. And if you choose to live according to the flesh, you will die. It doesn't mean you're going to drop dead tomorrow. It just means it's going to lead to death. It doesn't lead, like choosing to live according to the flesh does not lead to greater life. It doesn't lead to an enhancement of life. It's a counterfeit that might feel good or seem good or seem like something we want to do for a while. But you know, I know, we all know it's fleeting. It passes away quickly. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you put to death the deeds of the body, it says by the spirit, 
by the spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. In other words, don't try to do this in your own strength. Don't try to, again, white knuckle your way through this stuff. By the spirit, the spirit who lives within you, that's a capital S spirit, the spirit of God who actually lives within you, who has residence within you, who has made you his home. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we still choose to, to do sinful things with our bodies. But the Spirit of God lives within us, and he wants us to be free from that. And so he says here, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. You will experience more life. You will experience the life of God in you more and more and more as you walk with him. He'll lead you. He'll show you. He'll bring things to your mindset. He'll bring things into your remembrance of, of saying, you know, hey, this is an area you, you shouldn't walk in. This is something you shouldn't be doing. This is something that is not leading to life. This is something that's going to hurt you. This is something that it's leading you down a path that you don't want to go. Put that thing to death. Grace is not light on this stuff. Grace attacks this stuff. Grace goes after sin. It just doesn't condemn you in the process. It's like the best possible scenario what God has done for us. His grace is so good that it insulates us and protects us from sin while going after and destroying that sin and keeps us safe from condemnation and guilt and shame in the process. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible thing that God has done for us through Jesus. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also might be glorified together. I mean, how good are these verses, man? We can keep going all the way through the end of the chapter, but we got to stop. I mean, it's just so good. It's so much good news. You've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's what I was talking about. The spirit of God lives within you. Bearing witness with your spirit that you belong to God as his adopted son or daughter. That he's actually put you into this position where you are an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. I mean... We don't need the law to keep us on the straight and narrow. We just have to understand how good his grace is, how good, how thorough, how complete this new covenant is. He came and he did all of this. He died in your place. He died in my place. He did it to make us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus to completely renew us from the inside out to make us righteous in standing before God, before the Father. And all of this, like that, that he's 
invited us into his family as his sons and his daughters so that we can be free, led by the Spirit of God, sons and daughters of God. And the Holy Spirit, this whole time, he lives within us, working within us, speaking to us, reminding us of how good God is, directing our hearts into awe and wonder of God. Um, I, I, I heard somebody say this week that maturity in the kingdom of God is childlikeness, or it might have been the other way around. Either way, I think it was Bill Vanderbush. I, I heard a clip. He said um, that childlikeness is maturity in the kingdom of God. That's such a beautiful thing. And, and, and I hope that this discussion today, if it did nothing else, I really, I really hope that it, it maybe just helps you to stand in awe and wonder of who God is, to just be aware of his goodness, to be aware of his faithfulness, to be aware of how immense and incredible his love is toward you and how good his grace really is. We don't need to sacrifice um, his grace. We don't need to go after a counterfeit in order to get something, to attain something, to make ourselves feel better. His grace is more than enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He's your source. So I just invite you, I encourage you to just go after him this week with everything that you have and be reminded whenever that condemnation type stuff comes in and tries to lie to you, discourage you, depress you, remember who you are, but most of all, remember who he is and what he's done for you. He adopted you as his own, his son, his daughter. He put you into right standing with him. He made you his very righteousness and he lives within you because he never wants you to miss what he's doing, because he never wants you to be outside of, even for a moment, of the reality of that atmosphere of his grace and of his life. His life is in you. His life flows through you. And it just, guys, it just does not get any better. So I just encourage you, I challenge you, pursue him this week with just a greater fervency, a greater desire to know him. Paul says in, in Philippians chapter three, that after all of the things, all the stuff that he used to do, the stuff that he used to hold dear, the things he used to count as valuable in his life, he says, I count all of it as lost compared with the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of knowing him. That's what this is about, guys, about knowing him, knowing him more. So I leave you with that. Uh, bless you guys. Appreciate you for being here and for listening. And uh, I look forward to being back with you in a future episode. Bless you guys. Thanks again.